One Friday morning, it was on the 15th of the Jewish month of Nisan, outside the city of Jerusalem there were some very bitter and cruel words that were being shouted. From the onlookers you could hear them say, Come down from the cross, you're the Son of God. From the religious leaders you could hear them say, He saved others, but He can't save Himself. Soldiers even said it. If you're the king of the Jews, then save yourself. These were some very bitter and cruel words, and they were said hatefully, and they were said with sarcasm. And they had every intention of hurting. I mean, wasn't it enough he's being crucified? Was the scourging not enough? Was it not enough he's been shamed as a criminal? Were the, the crown of thorns, were the nails, were they not sufficient? Evidently, for some, it wasn't enough. First Peter chapter two and verse twenty-three. Peter describes this verbal punishment that Jesus received as revilement. That's what the New American Standard says. Then I be there says they hurled their insults at him, and that's what they did. They hurled verbal stones at Jesus, and they had every intention of hurting and bruising. It's there they said, well, we tormented the body, let's torment the spirit. And out of all the cruel things that were done to Jesus on that day, surely this was one of the cruelest. I mean, what kind of people mock a dying man? Even if he had committed crimes, but he had done no wrong to God or man. And they mocked him and slurred him, sneered at one who was in so much agony and so much pain. Satan was surely behind those words behind those attitudes. Words that were thrown and meant to hurt. And there's just nothing more painful than words that are meant to hurt. You ever had somebody hurt you with their words? You have somewhere down the line. Sometimes you'd rather take a beating than to be talked to like that. The tongue can be used as a cruel and wicked thing. And what hits so close to home to all of us is that we've all got one. And if we're not very careful, and there's been times we have, we've used it that way, haven't we? It's easy to sin with the tongue. And I want you to understand this is the bottom line of this lesson this morning, is that we can overcome our tongue what we say and how we say it, and we must if we're going to be pleasing unto God. If you want to have the kind of control that you need to have, that God tells you to have over other things in their life, and we've already talked about many things, we just begin. You know, there's many things that we need to control in our lives. But the Bible teaches that if you have the kind of control that it takes to control your speech, then you've got the kind of control that it takes to control all other things in your life. This is a very important lesson. Not because I'm preaching, because it comes from God's Word. If I can have the kind of control to control my tongue, I can control other things in my life. I need that kind of control, and I need to be praying about that. When's the, we pray about a lot of things, and we ought to pray about a lot of things. He wants us to make our requests known to Him. God desires... That's one of the most amazing blessings that we have, is prayer. We could spend the rest of the day talking about prayer. 
When was the last time you prayed about your speech? If it takes the kind of control to control the rest of my life, the kind of con- if I can have the control over my tongue, then I need to be praying about my speech. About what I say and what, how I say it. If it's the most unruly part of my body, then I need to be praying about it. We need to pray like the psalmist did in Psalm 41, 141 and verse 3. Psalm 141 and verse 3, he said, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, and keep a watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. The reason the tongue has so much influence is because it's connected directly to my heart, to my mind. We've already talked about that. What goes in, what's going to come out, he said. And so I've got to be controlled. If I have control that I need to over my heart, then I control my tongue. So... It works. We're going to talk about time in the tongue. Time in the tongue is something you can do. Difficult. But you can do it. You do all things through Christ who strengthens you, Philippians 4.13. Your tongue has an influence has a far-reaching influence. It can it can have influence on where what kind of life you have here. It affects your your life here and hereafter. It, it affects you here. Peter says, and this is not new. He's quoting from Psalm. It's not a new thing. He's just reminding us. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lip from speaking deceit or guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Do you love life? Thank you, do. Everybody loves life. You want to see good days while you're here? He says, if you love, you love life and you want to see good days while you're here, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit. you got to watch what you say and how you say it because it has a big influence on your life. We're going to talk about that. Or it can turn your life upside down if you don't. So... Your tongue has far-reaching influence. It affects your life here. It affects your life hereafter. Jesus said, we looked at this passage earlier, Matthew 12, verse 26 and 27, I say unto you that every careless word, not every, underscore this, every careless word that men shall speak, he'll render account for in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Jesus makes it very plain that not only if you want to have good days while you're here, but if you want to face God in judgment, and that be a good day. You've got to watch what you say and how you say. Tongue something has a far-reaching influence, and how we control it is going to make a big difference. Here and hereafter. Go look at James um, today. I appreciate the reading from James 1. James, I like James. James is straightforward. That's what I like. Tell me. Tell me a way I can understand it. James is a book you don't have to do a whole lot of digging. Don't have to use a lot of lexicon. Don't have to do a lot of word studies in James. James, he's plain. I mean, he, he lays that. The hard thing about that, it hurts. <laughs> he's pointed. He's been talking about, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. You know, he's all about doing it. 
Don't just, don't just talk about it. Do it. Don't just go look in the mirror and then go on and don't do anything. Do something about it. Don't be a hearer. What be a doer of it? goes on chapter 2 and he talks about faith without works. He said, that's dead. It's not worth anything. Be a doer of it. Chapter 1, verse 19, he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's plain enough, isn't it? Oh, too plain. We're going to get that right around backwards. We want to be slow to hear, quick to get mad back, and say something back. Somebody said, Lord, try and tell us something. Give us two ears and one mouth, we ought to use them proportionately. Do twice as much listening as we do talking, but we get that turned around too, don't we? A whole lot harder to listen for a lot of us than it is to just spout off. He says you need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. As he goes on to illustrate what he meant by being a hearer of the word, not just a doer, he says if you claim to be religious, and you don't bridle your tongue. In verse 26, he said, You are fooling yourself, deceiving yourself, and your religion is worthless. You claim to be a Christian. You claim to be holy. You want to go to heaven. You want to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. He says, You can come and go through the works of religion. Do it. You'll be here every time the door is open. But you go off and you don't turn your tongue and you don't work at what you say and how you say. He says, your religion not worth a nickel. That's what he said. Like we talked about earlier, your influence, just a few flies in the ointment make the whole perfume stink. And you can be doing good at all other things, but don't watch what you say and how you say it. Still go to hell. He said, your religion is not worth a nickel. I want you to look at James chapter 3. James 3 says the most that we have in the Bible about the tongue in one place. And in James chapter 3 and verse 1, he said, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you'll incur a stricter judgment. He said, we all stumble in what we say, or in many ways. He said, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he says, there's a perfect man who's able to rattle the whole body as well. That's what we want to do. We want to bridle our whole body. We want to have control, tame our whole lives before God. That's what we're striving for. Isn't God's holy. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a high calling, isn't it? That's an everyday job working towards that. It is for me. A lot of us working on how you use this thing right here. What you say and how you say it. He says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing that as such you'll incur a stricter judgment. And at first you might look at that and say, Well, he's contradicting himself with other things in the Bible. And doesn't the Bible tell us to be teachers? I mean, the Hebrew writer in chapter 5, he upbraided those people because they ought, by this time, ought to be teachers, right? They were still hanging on the ABCs of the gospel, the elementary principles of the oracles of God. They couldn't take a solid food, only milk, you know. They, they couldn't, didn't have their senses trained what's right and what's wrong. Because they hadn't grown, they all be teachers. Well, 
He says, not let many of you become teachers. Well, he's not discouraging anybody. God wants us to be teachers, right? Everybody, we're going to talk about that some this evening. Everybody's got to be a teacher. All of us teach in different ways. Some may teach publicly. Some might not be able to do that, but are great personal workers. They teach the older women teach the younger women. We're all to teach. Everybody's to be a teacher at some capacity. So that's not what he's talking about in this passage. What is he talking about? He's talking about don't let yourself become a teacher if you can't show the responsibility of teaching and keeping a controlled tongue. You've got to use your tongue to teach, and therefore you've got to be controlled in what you say. You just can't teach anything to be pleasing to God. You're going to be held accountable for what you teach. So he said, don't be a teacher unless you can do that. And he's talk, that's what he's fixing to talk about. About controlling your speech. So he said, and he admits this, and we all admit this, that we are sinners. We all stumble. And then he's using stumble, not like tripping on something. He's talking about stumbling in your life spiritually. He's talking about sin. He said, we all stumble. We all sin. Romans 3.23 tells us that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? We all do that. We all stumble. In fact, he says we do that in many ways. We do that, don't we? We sin in many different ways. There's many things that we have to work on as Christians to strive to be holy and to be perfect as God would have us to be. He says we all stumble, we all stumble in many ways. But he said, you find a man that doesn't stumble in what he says, he said, there you find a perfect man. Any perfect people here? There'd be one perfect person with us. Not one perfect person except Jesus Christ. But he was perfect. I think what's interesting when it describes Jesus perfect is his sinlessness. For example, when you read about Jesus, first Peter chapter two, he was there he had no sin nor was there what? Any deceit found in his mouth. No God. When he talks about his Perfection, his sinlessness, it puts together with it. He didn't use his speech in a way that was wrong. You find a man that doesn't stumble in what he says there's a perfect man, that Jesus was a perfect man. He didn't stumble in what he said. And therefore he had the kind of control as a man. Now he was God. But he faced things in life, in the temptations of life, just like you and me, he wouldn't be the perfect example. And so he was tempted to say the wrong thing. But he didn't give in to that. He never stumbled in what he said. And therefore he was a perfect man. He said, you find a, per- a person doesn't stumble in what he says. He's a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. That's what we want to do. If you can have the kind of control over your life that allows you to control your speech, then you've got the kind of control that you need to control other things in your life. That's why we need to be praying about it. That's why we need to study about it. We need to think about it. Meditate on it. Work at it daily. He goes on there. Verse 3, he says, Now, if we put... He's illustrating what he's saying. If you put bits in the horse's mouth so they may obey us, and we direct their entire body as well, hold the ships also, though they are great, and driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder, whatever the inclination of the pilot or the captain desires. We understand that. He's illustrating what he said. If you can have control over this one small part of your body. You've got the kind of control that you can have to control other things in your life. Just like a, a horse and a bit. Bit's very small object compared to a horse. This was like a quarter horse to me. I had some big horses. 
I miss them. I dream about them. <laughs> I miss my horses. Fat Meg, big draft horse. Perdrons. I put, I, if she wanted to lift her head up, I had to get a bucket standing on that side. I told her she was to put a bed in. Put that bed in, get up on them, drive them. Wherever you want to, gee, wherever you want to, you didn't have to say anything. Just touch it. Small compared to this huge horse. But everywhere the inclination, you can just direct the whole body. Small compared to the far-reaching influence that it has. Same way you use a, a ship. Ship's a big thing. I was preaching in Jamaica one time. I've never seen one of these uh, auction uh, cruise ships. Came in there, the back. I thought, how's there enough water for it to even get in there? I've never seen it like a city. Float. Huge. You know what's behind it? A little bit of rudder. Pour it right in there. Where Small. That's a big rudder. But compared to what it's on, it's got a lot of influence, right? Small. Well, he's using two illustrations. One's a high-spirited animal. But this high-spirited animal, if you've got control of this one small part, you control its whole body. This inanimate object, but yet it's subject to the, the forces of the winds and the waves. But you can guide it through ocean straits if you've got control of this one part. Now, just because you've got a rudder doesn't mean you've got control. You remember this guy from Italy, you know, went over there, took that big ship, running it around, because he, he didn't have... He, Somewhere way on B, and he didn't have control of the rudder. Just because you've got a rudder doesn't mean you've got control of the ship. But if you've got control, notice it's by the man, if he's got control over this, he's got control over the whole thing. But you've got to have control of it. Just because you've got a bit in the bridle doesn't mean you've got control of the, of the horse. Now, but you've got, you ever drop the reins? Big wick. <laughs> you, can get, you can get bad shape, buddy. Get the disc in downhill and let go of the line. See what happens. Just because you got a bit in the bridle doesn't mean you got control. If you got control, you got control over it all. Just because you got a tongue doesn't mean you got control. Just because you got a rudder, you let it go, let it flop. You, you got a tongue, you just let it flop. <laughs> got big trouble, big wreck coming. He said tongue's that way. Tongue is a small part of the body. Yet it boasts great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. He says, tongue's just like that. If you've got control over the tongue, you've got control over everything. But if you let it go, oh, big wreck, big problems, big fire. He says, it's just like a, a small fire, just like a small spark. You look at all these fires out west right now, burning down houses, sweeping over millions of acres. How did it all start? Spark. This little fire is where it all starts. But it can burn down with great devastation. There's all kinds of things that's happened that way. You think about the fires in the past that have been notable. You, you take back um, 1891, you got the Great Chicago Fire. It's supposed to have been started when a cow being milk kicked over a lamp. When they finally got the fires put out, if it hadn't been for the river, it just kept going. It burned down Chicago. I mean, burned it to the ground. 3,000 people were homeless. Just like that. 
You got what called the ham and eggs fire. 1906. San Francisco. Biggest earthquake they'd had out there. Wasn't an earthquake really tore up so much. I mean, it tore up a lot. Somebody got up the next morning, they called the ham and eggs fire, got up, tried to cook some breakfast where the mortar and, and bricks had shifted, fire got out, and it burned San Francisco to the ground. He said, it's just like that, tongue in. It's small, but it's got a far-reaching influence. You've got to be careful how you use it. You've got one. You're going to be held accountable for how you use it. It affects your life here and hereafter. We need to understand there's power in words, power in speech. You know, some speeches have been described as events, turning points in the affairs of nations. Solomon said, words fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting or a network of silver. Now, I've thought about that passage something. They said that in Solomon's day, his wealth was sold because of his wisdom that it says that silver were like rocks in Israel. So he had plenty of gold and silver around. Evidently there was something, I can imagine him sitting on his desk, he had a desk, you know, sitting, something, something sitting over there that he had, that somebody had given him probably as a beautiful gift, and he said, you know, that's maybe apples of gold and a network, something that was uh, precious and stood out, he said, Words fitly spoken are like that. That have a great influence. But he's not talking about the good that the tongue can do here. He's talking about the evil, wickedness that the tongue can do. He says, the tongue is a fire, verse 6. It's a small part of the body, but it can be a fire. It can be a little world of iniquity within itself. The tongue is a fire of the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles our entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. And we've got one. It can be used that way. Talking hateful, ugly, gossip, talking about other people. You ever used your tongue that way? It's a fire. It can be a little word of iniquity. Notice he said, it's among our members is that which defiles our entire body and sets on fire the course of our life. When you use your tongue in a wrong way, it affects you. You have sinned. And it affects you. But it not only affects you, it affects those around you. We're talking about influence, for them. Notice this, he says, sets on fire the course of our lives. That's the New American Standard. Look in your margin, and you may see that it says the wheel of life or the wheel of nature or the course of nature, some versions say. What's he talking about? The word here literally sets on fire the course of our life. It's literally the wheel of life. The wheel of life. You think of the wheel of your life. Everybody's a wheel, you know. You're the hub right here. Wheel of your life. Everybody's got a tongue. And the tongue is a fire. Small part of the body. But you use your tongue. Spark of anger. You know, quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger. You get that turned around. You say something you ought not say. Treat people like you ought not treat. 
gossip, run somebody down, talk about old brother, so-and-so, sister, so-and-so. Sets on fire, defiles you. This defiles our body. You sin. But in the wheel of life, we're not in this by ourselves. It's not just a hub, is it? We got people all around us. We got our friends. We got people we work with. We got your brethren. And sometimes the spark that comes to my mouth affects my family members, my friends, my brethren. Sometimes it can tear up whole congregations, can't it? And for you know it, the whole wheel's on fire because of something stupid that I said. Or not willing to retract. It's a whole lot easier just not to ever say it than it's retracted. You ever try to get toothpaste back in the tube? A whole lot easier to keep it in than to get it back. Sets on fire the whole course of our life. Where does it get its fire from? Where does it come from? Who's behind that kind of thing? He said it's set on fire by hell. Comes straight from hell, from the devil. Here's the word, or the word here is Gehenna. The same word Jesus used in Mark chapter 9, verse 43, when he talked about the place of eternal torment, weeping gnashing of teeth. The only time outside the Gospels it's used in James by the Holy Spirit here uses it to talk about the evilness of the tongue. I'll tell you something. Who's behind the evil use of the tongue? Satan. Set on fire by hell. And he talks about just how evil it is. How hard it is to tame it. In fact, he says, it's not tamed. He said, every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea has been tamed. is tamed by the human race. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And people have, they, they've tamed everything. We went out to turkey hunting thing down at Nashville one time. There they had an eagle. In there. We were talking to Turtle Man. You know Turtle Man? We were standing there talking to Turtle Man. Turtle Man said, He said, Wait a minute, I gotta go see this. <laughs> so he went over and, and picked that eagle. Then he came back over and talked to us like he'd never seen it before, you know. Uh, people tamed everything. Lions, go down to Sea World, like when we lived down there in Florida, we, we lived on Bush Boulevard. Went down there to Bush Gardens and watched them ride those. Killer whales, it's amazing. People tamed everything. He says, and tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. Why? It's a restless evil. It's just like a wild, vicious animal pacing back and forth in the cage. Restless evil. Full of deadly poison. You know, the psalmist used that kind of language. Psalm 140 and verse 3 spoke of those who had sharpened their tongues as a serpent and had the poison of viper under their lips. Somebody used to the tongue. He said nobody can tame the tongue. He talked about how inconsistent we use it. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessings and cursing. We come in with saying, Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Praise Him, praise Him. Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. And then go out and talk about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. 
When we praise God and when we curse many men made in the likeness of God, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. I told you James plain. James, what did he say about it? He said, My brethren, these things ought not be this way. How plain is that? You use your mouth, come in and praise God and say amen to prayer, and then go out and talk about your brothers and sisters who use it in an inconsistent way. He said, ought not be that way, and your religion's not worth a nickel. That's what he said. What about you? That hits home, man. Got to watch what you say and how you say it. You want to love life, see good days? Refrain your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking God. Every careless word that men shall speak, you'll render account for in the day of judgment. For by your word you shall be justified, and by your word you shall be condemned. Blessing and cursing out of the same mouth. He said that kind of flaming tongue ought not be in the mouth of a child of God. He says, does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can the fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Answer those questions is no. 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 I don't know a whole lot about fig trees. All one I ever got was from a, a wedding gift, and when we come back on our honeymoon, every leaf done fell off it. <laughs> don't know much about fig trees. Know a little bit about grapes. But I know about apples and oranges. Where we used to go quail hunting, we used to go through this whole apple orchard. First thing, when we was place where we'd pull in, we'd go through there and we'd go through that apple orchard. A lot of times we'd pick these apples off and stick a few in their pocket. I remember that. It didn't seem like they tasted a whole lot better than anything they ever get today. I don't know why. You know how they used to do it back on some. But you know, I never did go in there and find an orange. Never did. But I preached at Luke's Florida. When I preached there, it was in front of an old orange grove. There's still a few old trees out there. And what we'd take back for Christmas presents, we'd broke, baby. <laughs> we'd, we'd go out there and get something free to take back. We'd go out there and pick oranges to take back home. They were good. You know, good oranges really not orange. Do you know that? They're kind of brown when they start turning back green. That's when the sugar is the greatest there. That's a good orange, back brown orange, uh, brown and green, you know. But I never did go out there if I'm an apple on those orange trees. That's what he's trying to say. Just as those things ought not be. And just like when we live in Florida, you couldn't go down there to the sea and ever get a good drink of water. <laughs> Salt doesn't produce fresh. My wife, she lived, I was a city boy, believe that. I lived in Woodbury. She lived out in Burke. She was a country. And they had sulfur water. Not like rotten eggs. They were used to it. They couldn't smell it. They tasted it. Her little cousin called it sweet water. We know he's not right. But he was used to it. You know, he, he couldn't drink seawater. Couldn't drink good well water. He just used that sulfur water. But I tell you what, I never did go over to her house and turn it on and good water come out of it. It was sulfur every time. A fountain doesn't produce both fresh and bitter water. Doesn't that? And he's saying that's the way it ought to be with the mouth of the child of God. It ought not be that oh, I'm trying to be a child of God. And then vulgar things, sinful things, inconsistent things, ugly things, hurtful things, gospel things, all about being the mouth of a child of God. This ought not be that way. Just like you don't find any of these things, it ought not be that way. You say, well, how can you keep it from being that way? 
Don't we start out saying you do all things through Christ who strengthens me? And then James says, no man can tame the tongue. Now wait a minute. How do you tame it if no man can tame it? I think the answer to this is that when you realize where the tongue gets its fire, where do we say it comes from? Satan. Set on fire by what? Hell. Gehenna. That's who's behind it. I want you to know anything that Satan has to do with, we talk about this some, how powerful a spiritual being he is. You cannot overcome Satan on your own. He's too powerful for you to handle. I can't, you can't, all of us together don't have a chance against him. Not by ourselves. You look over at Jude now. I don't understand everything that says right there. But it's talking about Michael the archangel fighting with Satan over the body of Moses. I don't understand everything there, but that's there for us to know something about. It says, he did not give him a railing rebuke. In other words, Michael, when he rebuked Satan, he himself didn't say, I rebuke you, Satan. He didn't do that. But rather it says, he said, the Lord rebuke you. Now I'm going to tell you, if Michael the archangel, the highest, most powerful angel of God that we know of, cannot rebuke Satan except by the power of God, what do you think I'm going to do, or you're going to do, all of us together could do against Satan? Anything he's got anything to do with, you can't touch it without God. But with God, one is a majority. With God, you can do anything. You can even tame the tongue. You can do what nobody else can do. You can be holy. You can be righteous. You can have the kind of control over your life that controls your tongue and enables you to control other parts of your body if you will have God's strength and power. Now James went on in chapter 4 and verse 7 to give the key to this. He said, Submit therefore unto God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The one who is behind the, the fire of the evilness of the tongue will leave you alone if you submit to God and do your part. Now, it's not that it's all going to be up on God. Say, hey, you make me where I don't use my mouth like I ought not use No. You submit unto God, he'll give you the power and strength to do what you need to do. You submit unto God and resist. There's some resistance. It's, it's a challenge. It's a battle. To live as a stranger and an alien in this world, right? But you can overcome and win the battle through Jesus. I can do all things, even control my tongue. I can, you can. If I submit therefore unto God, you can tame the tongue. But you've got to submit to God. In fact, if you don't submit to God, you won't have anything. One thing for sure, if you don't submit to God, you'll never go to heaven. But if you submit to him, come say, I want to be a Christian, I want to follow his will, I want to humble myself to do his will, make his will my will, I want to do everything I can to resist and do his will. But I'm going to rely on his strength and his power. I tell you, without him, I'm lost. You're looking at a sinner. You're looking at somebody go to hell and deserve hell if it wasn't for Jesus. I'm thankful for him. I don't know about you. 
thankful he come and died for me. I'm thankful that through him I now have forgiveness. I've used my tongue wrong. You? I've done a lot of ugly and hurtful things in my life. I'm thankful for the Lord. <laughs> he tells me if I just submit to him and try, that Satan will leave me alone. That's the gospel, friend. If you're here and you never obeyed him, won't you come and say, I won't submit to the Lord? I won't obey him, won't have my sins washed away. If you've done that and not been living like you ought to, repent of it. Right now, I want to stand singing a song.